You are listening to National Security Law Today. It's January 6, 2022, one year since an angry mob overran the capital of our country to the delight of our foreign adversaries. Hi, I'm Elisa, and welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. And I'm Yvette. Happy New Year. So we're recording this in advance, and we don't have a blow-by-blow of today's events in this episode. We'll be sure to cover the progress of the January 6th Commission in a future podcast. However, we will note that former President Trump has canceled his counterprogramming, citing critical media coverage, and the work of the commission continues apace, with new subpoenas and requests for cooperation issued seemingly every day. This week, instead, we're going to bring you a short news roundup before we head into our deep dive, pun very much intended, into the world of the seabed and its importance to national security. So let's start with Russia. This past week, Russia tested 10, I guess you pronounce them, Sircon hypersonic cruise missiles from a frigate and two more from a submarine. And the Western officials who would normally respond to this kind of thing were skeptical. We hope that they are right because these missiles could collapse communication systems, down satellites, thereby cutting off phone systems. They could drain fueling stations and interfere with or destroy our food distribution channels. At the same time, Russia has continued to amass troops along the border of Ukraine, after which Russia President Putin demanded concessions from NATO allies, including a promise that the Ukraine would not be admitted to NATO or the EU. So I think Putin is showing shades of Kim Jong-un. What do you think, Yvette? And this isn't all he's been doing, as you know. Agree. I think that many experts would agree with you, Elisa. Myself, I'm not an expert, but I agree with you, too. This is part of a continuation of a lot of really hostile actions that President Putin has taken in that corner of the globe, starting with invading Georgia and Ukraine. And now this is continuing and maybe escalating. And so I think that we are right to show some sort of alarm. Yeah, and I would say we've been talking about the strategic importance of Africa, the long-ignored continent, and I think Russia is aware of its critical importance because they've recently really started moving into the continent. And in particular, the BBC is noting that recently they've been present in Mali, ostensibly doing counterterrorism joint exercises with Malian military. So that, of course, should be cause for alarm. That's a really great way to segue into a further update in Africa. Right before our winter break, we talked to Professor Darren Johnson about the growing crisis in Sudan, but it appears that things have shifted there even more since that conversation. Just six weeks after Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok was reinstalled after some sort of power sharing agreement with the leaders of the military, there was a coup. And so the Prime Minister had resigned and left the country. And that means for now that the military is in charge. Some 56 people have been killed there since the military-led coup launched there in late October. And while we're in Africa, we can also give you an update on Ethiopia, Sudan's next-door neighbor. It remains a mess with warring ethnic groups. Somalia is still in disarray also, leaving the entire Horn of Africa in an unstable state and placing U.S. counterterrorism efforts in access to the Red Sea in jeopardy. So speaking of the Red Sea, just across the Red Sea, for those who are familiar with the geography, is Yemen. And the Houthis, or styled Houthi rebels, I guess, by the Saudis, have continued to flex their muscle in the Red Sea. 
They recently went into the Red Sea and seized an Emirate-flagged vessel, the Rawabi, and their military spokesman, who was Brigadier General Yahya Sari, claimed that the vessel was actually a military cargo ship and had somehow entered Yemeni waters without, as they said, quote, without any license and engaged in hostilities targeting the security and stability of the Yemeni people. The Saudis, as you know, have been particularly hostile to the Houthis, and they have characterized this as an act of piracy. And it's been one of several recent tit-for-tat acts of violence between the Saudis and the Houthis. So keep an eye on that, because that is just directly across the Red Sea from Sudan. It sure is. And it also complicates our relationship with the Saudis. Defense listeners will recognize there's been an ongoing discussion about how complicit the United States is in arming Saudis in their incursions against the Houthi rebels. So we will definitely keep an eye on that. But it's not all doom and gloom, but it still is complicated in the national security space. We also want to tell you a little bit about some reporting we've heard about South Korea which has beefed up its inside-the-beltway lobbying effort to promote chipmakers to the United States. Experts note that this could be an effort to take advantage of some of the tensions the United States has with China, which currently produces most of the microchips we use in our electronic devices, including the ones that we've been on Zoom for the last two years. Yes, those devices. Um, I would know that a week ago, before this was announced, South Korea's efforts you know, to sort of beef up their lobbying efforts Prior to that time, I mean, the Wall Street Journal's commodities reporters were talking about lithium's skyrocketing prices and how that was stoking supply concerns and that they were rising at the fastest pace that they had in years. And it was fueling worries about the long-term shortages of this vital ingredient that is used in rechargeable batteries that power everything from electric vehicles to smartphones, which is going to get us to our next series. We do depend on minerals more than we realize for batteries, weapon systems, microchips, and more. But where are these batteries coming from? Who controls the processing and development of them? And over the next few weeks, we're going to set out the national security issues that are happening right now with mining minerals. And to illustrate for you through a series, this growing area of national security law And we're going to look at the issues surrounding the prevalence of minerals, in particular in the seabed, some three miles below the ocean surface, and particularly in the Clarion-Clipperton zone, which historians will note was very famous for an incident between the United States and the then Soviet Union, which we'll talk about a little more in the weeks to come, but involved um, a false mining expedition. But in particular, we're going to be talking to experts on the law of the sea, private companies who are interested in mining there, environmentalists and scientists who want us to slow down before we cause permanent damage to the planet. And we're going to look at who besides us is actually mining there, who owns licenses to mine there, and why this is going to become one of the hottest and most contested areas and a potential source of dramatic conflict. We hope you'll join us as we talk about the deep sea and what it means for global and national security. Well, I'm particularly interested in this because I remember my very first international law course, I'm not going to say how many years ago, and we spent, I think, two, three-hour sessions or something just on law of the sea, and I had never heard of it before I set foot in law school. It's a fascinating area of the law, and so I'm looking forward to exploring that with our listeners and you, Elisa. I just want to add one thing, you know, while we're, it's like the gloom and doom, we're here to deliver all the final thing. I forgot to mention something to you, Eva, which I thought you in particular would find interesting. Did you know that China has been helping Saudi Arabia make missiles? Just want to put that out there. More to follow.
Well, thanks for leaving everyone hungering for more. Follow up with us on that subject and more. Before we go, we want you to be one of the first ones to know that the Standing Committee will be opening its registration portal this weekend for the annual National Security Law CLE webinar series. The virtual conference will be held on Thursday and Friday, February 17th and 18th, and again the following Thursday and Friday, February 24th and 25th. Watch the website www.ambar.org slash natsecurity for more information and registration information. Thanks everyone so much for listening, and we will be back next week. The Standing Committee on Law and National Security will keep bringing you national security law every week, so hit that subscribe button on your app of choice, and we will continue bringing you content. Well, we never take your attention for granted, so thank you for listening to this short episode tonight. And if you have topics that you want us to cover or feedback you'd like to give us, find us on Twitter at ABA NATSEC or send us an email at nationalsecurityatamericanbar.org. And don't forget that the lawyers hosting this podcast, me, Yvette, we're here in our individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or firm. Be well and have a great new year. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.